Hey, it's good to see all of you. Thanks for coming out. This morning, we're um, in a series that we're calling our Expectation Series. And so if you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, I'm actually not going to read a specific verse from that chapter, but I would really like for your Bibles to be open. And I just kind of want to walk through this chapter with you. And uh, I want you to be right there in your word so that you can correct me if I get off. That's funny, but it's real. We ought to not take the words of, of men, even men like me, maybe especially men like me. Matthew chapter 11, here's how the chapter begins. We find that John the Baptist is in prison and um, John has a couple of disciples and he sends his disciples to Jesus. And um, Josh, uh, John had already acknowledged a couple of times that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the one that the Jews were waiting for. So he had already you know, a couple of times acknowledged that, but I guess John was like you and I, he just wanted one more, one more opportunity to feel confident. So he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one that we've been waiting for or should we wait for another? In other words, are you the Messiah? Jesus answered him in a unique way. Jesus didn't talk about the prophecies that his birth had fulfilled or, or he didn't give any of his qualifications. Here's how Jesus answered these disciples and this is the JEV version. If you remember here, you know that that's the Jody's expanded version, okay? But here's what Jesus, here's how Jesus answered their question. He said, the proof is in the pudding. In other words, go tell John what you've seen. And he said this, if you've watched me, you'll know that there were people who are blind who are now not blind because of my ministry. He said that there's deaf people who are now hearing because of my ministry. He said there are lepers, people stricken with leprosy who are now clear because of my ministry. And the, go the gospel has gone out to those in poverty. So he says, just that's your answer. Go tell John what you've seen. And so the disciples of John leave and they report back to, to John. Jesus in this moment, this is in Matthew 11 now, ready? So he turns to the people that he was teaching. There was a crowd there that, that he was teaching. And he asked this crowd one question three different times. He asked them a question in verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. And here is the question that he asked in reference to John. They were, they were, John was the, was the topic of the moment. So in reference to John, he says to the people, when you went out to see John, because he, was, he, was he had been preaching in the wilderness, he was that guy who didn't want to be in town. He'd rather be out in the wilderness, much like myself. Come to town only when necessary. So John was out, had been out in the wilderness preaching, but everybody had gone to see John. And so Jesus asked this question, when you went out to see John, what did you expect to see? In other words, what were your expectations when you went to hear John preach? In verse 7, he asked him, he said, uh, were you expecting to see a reed shaken in the wind? 
Now, here's the JEV version of that verse. Ready? He said, did you expect to see somebody who's just talking about the latest trending subject in the body of Christ? Did you expect to go out there and have your ears tickled? Was it, were you expecting a seeker-sensitive self-help message? And the implication was, if that's what you were seeking, your expectations weren't met. Verse 8, he says, were you expecting to see somebody wearing the latest fashions? Were you expecting to see the next episode of Preacher Sneakers? Apparently that's a thing. I've never seen it, but apparently that's a thing. If so, if, if you were expecting to see someone in the latest fashions, the implication was you were, your expectations weren't met because John had more of a, a rustic fashion sense. Camel hair. Right? Finally, they, in, in verse 9, he says, did you expect to see a prophet? He said, did you accept to, expect to see a prophet? And the answer there was yes. They, they went out expecting to see a prophet. But Jesus went on to say, you weren't expecting a prophet like him. He was different. It goes on to say that, that in John's time and in his time in, in God's kingdom, that the kingdom was suffering violence and it was the violent that took it by force. In other words, John's, John's ministry style was much more aggressive than you were comfortable with. He wasn't there to tickle your ears. He wasn't there to, to help you have a good worship experience. He was, he was an abrupt guy. But God, the scripture goes on to say this. He said, but for those who will receive it, and please pay attention real close to what I'm about to say to you. He said, for those who would receive it, he's the voice of Elijah. That's what he said. Let me... Let me tell you why I want you to pay attention to this because that term to those who will receive it in other words God was doing something in that moment but not everybody was going to catch what God was doing it was only those who had eyes to see and ears to hear so he says if, if, you're, if you're able to receive it God's going to do something through this man and and so we can tell he was really challenging their expectations. Like, what were you expecting to go when you, when you went to see John? And, and expectations is a, is a powerful subject because we all have expectations, especially where the things of God are concerned. We expect God to behave in a certain way. We're, we're fine with God doing God things as long as he does it in our little box. We have this, this picture of how God ought to work. And you know, I was thinking about how, how are our expectations formed? Usually our expectations, specifically where God is concerned, that our expectations are shaped, first of all, by traditions that, we've, that are, are part of our history. In other words, I was raised in this style church and God does church like this. Heaven is gonna look like this. Right? It's not really going to look like this. That was a joke. 
but our, our expectations are shaped by our traditions, what we're, what we're comfortable with. And so expectations are, I mean, uh, traditions are a big part of shaping our expectations. But also preferences are part of shaping our expectations. What am I comfortable with? What do I like, right? And so when you have history or tradition and preferences, it shapes our expectations. And what Jesus was doing here was saying, listen, John, I promise you didn't fit your expectations. And because he didn't match your expectations, some of you are missing what I was doing through John because your expectations were in the way. He said of John, he said, listen, John came, this is back in Matthew 11. He said, when John was, was moving around, he didn't eat or drink. This is what the scripture says. He didn't eat or drink. In other words, here's the JEV version. John didn't accept your invitation to supper. John didn't want to go meet you at the village coffee shop. That wasn't John, right? And because he wouldn't do all these things, you say he had a devil. So they're like, oh, this guy, I mean, he's, he's just not behaving like we think he ought to behave. He has a devil. And then Jesus said, I came, I came eating and drinking. In other words, I went to your parties. I went to coffee with you. I did those things. And now you call me a drunk and a glutton. So John didn't fit your expectations. I don't fit your expectations. The problem's not with John. The problem's not with Jesus. The problem's with us. And if we're not careful, our expectations will cause us to miss what God is doing. In the book of Mark, the sixth chapter, we see that Jesus returned to his hometown. He went back to Nazareth. That's where he was raised and if you read that account and see Jesus' time there in, in Nazareth, what you'll find, please, this is going to shake some of you up, but listen to me. Jesus could not be Jesus in his own hometown. The Bible said that he actually could not do miracles. The Son of God, the Messiah, could not do miracles in his hometown. Did any of you know that? What? Why? Why couldn't he do miracles? Here's the JEV version. Ready? It's because, because of their familiarity with Jesus. So Jesus shows up back in his hometown, and they'd heard, ooh, Jesus, moving around, healing people, doing all this stuff. But when he comes back to the old neighborhood, wait, aren't you Jesus? We were on a kickball team together in the third grade. And aren't you Jesus, you're the carpenter, right? You did those cabinets at my Aunt Tilly's house? So their familiarity with Jesus shaped their expectations. They couldn't see him as he was. They saw them as, as they were. And their expectations limited the Son of God. Bible says in Mark 6 that he could only do a few miracles, only heal a few people. In other words, he was limited by their expectations. Church, I feel that this is more than a message for the week. It's a message for the hour. It's a message for the hour for, his, for God's church. 
is that we're going to have to be careful that our expectations don't limit God. Cause us to just go through the motions, do the things, have the routines over and over again. But we limit God by our expectations. So my prayer, my desire for this series is that we would take our expectations, ones formed by traditions and preferences, what we like, and that we would set those aside and we begin to look in the word because I don't want God limited in my life. I want a full expression of who God is. I want Jesus to work unfettered in my life. And so I may have to put aside my expectations. We're gonna look in the word, see how God does things. You know, the children of Israel enslaved in Egypt, all they knew was slavery for 400 years. They were suddenly set free. Out they go, leave Egypt. I mean, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. It was one of those moments. Off they go, on to a brighter day. Shortly after they've exited Egypt, they turn around and look and see that not only had they left Egypt, the armies of Egypt have left Egypt and they are hot on their heels. And all of a sudden, what began as a glorious day is not a glorious day anymore. The enemy is closing in on them. Not only is the enemy pursuing them, they find themselves all of a sudden trapped against the Red Sea. They find themselves in an impossible situation. There's an obstacle there that's stopping them from getting out of the reach of the Egyptian armies. And they all said, praise God, right? No. Immediately what happened? They began to murmur. What's happening in here always comes out here. They began to murmur. They said, oh man, I know what's up. Moses, there wasn't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here to be buried in the desert. That's what they said. They began to murmur against him. But see, God was at work. And God was trying to teach them something that they weren't ready to, to quite ready to receive. So the enemy's pressing down on them. And all of a sudden, that thing that was an obstacle stopping them from being able to escape the reach of the enemy, God made a path right through the middle of that thing. God pulls back the waters of the Red Sea, opens up a way through the Red Sea. Not only was there a way, it wasn't even a muddy way. He dries up the seabed, and these millions of people then begin moving through the Red Sea. Imagine that moment. You're walking through the Red Sea. There's walls of water standing up next to you, like visiting the aquarium in New Orleans. There's a dolphin, right? They're in awe. Oh, my gosh, this is so cool. Off they go through the Red Sea. Again, in the middle of the Red Sea, they look and find that not only had they taken the path through the Red Sea, but the Egyptian army was taking the same path. Uh-oh. You see, emotionally, they're just up and down. You see that? Off they go. They're hurrying through the Red Sea. When they get to the other side, and that last Israelite steps out of the water, there's this moment, what's gonna happen next? I'm telling you, God was teaching them something. 
Because then in that moment, that path that they had walked through, they watched those waters collapse and it collapsed on the enemy that was pursuing them. And what they saw in one moment without lifting a finger, we saw God eliminate the enemy in their life because here's what God was trying to teach them and what you and I need to learn and set our expectations on. Listen, he is the God that makes a way where there is no way. Things that look impossible are not too big for our God. He was also teaching them that the enemy you see today, you shall see again no more. I can handle your path. I can handle your enemies. Listen, God will not fit in our little box. He's just bigger than that. But we need to open up our expectations, begin to expect things that seem impossible because we serve the God of the impossible. Then Jesus comes along. And in Jesus' ministry, I tell you, he was really good at rattling people's expectations. They expected the Messiah to be born in a palace. Nah, he chose a horse stall. He begins his ministry. He goes to a wedding, and in this wedding, they run out of wine. Oh, no, what are we going to do? His mother, please listen to me. Some of you mothers need to catch this. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to do, do it, and you'll see a miracle. Somebody who was brave enough to be obedient would see God's provision in that situation. So Jesus shows up at a party that was not supposed to be BYOB. He turns it into BYOB. He brings enough for the whole place. Listen, he's shattering expectations. He, he, they bring a woman to him that was caught in adultery and Jesus, the Messiah, the righteous one who's making such a stir in the nation, they bring this woman to him. Everybody expecting that this woman caught in adultery when brought to Jesus, that Jesus would be the first one to condemn her, the first one to pick up a stone and the first one to lead in the death of this woman. But to everybody's surprise, he wasn't there with rejection and judgment he was there with mercy reached and touched the heart of this woman and changed everything beautiful story that we all get excited about but please catch something with me you ready that one situation there's multiple people watching that one situation one woman went away freed a bunch of people went away offended because Jesus didn't do what they thought he should do the lesson is that there's times when God will touch people and the rest of us leave offended, frustrated because he didn't do what we thought he should do. We got to take the limits off of God. Jesus was good at just shattering expectations. I love studying the people in the Bible. You know, because if God's going to use somebody, we all have a picture of who he should use. But if you read through the Bible, you'll find that Jesus chose some unlikely people. There was this, this Philistine, Chris Kyle. Did y'all catch that? American sniper, Navy SEAL. I mean, this dude was the champion of the Philistine army, nine foot tall, insurmountable. I mean, he was the... He was a UFC fighter. I don't know what he was, but he was, he was a bad dude. This guy's got to be defeated. Who could we use? I know. We'll use this adolescent boy who's on an Uber Eats run 
for his brothers. He's got that slingshot. Let's use him. God chooses unlikely people. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, you'll have to think back with me. I want you to picture the city of Jericho. We know that Jericho was a big walled city. Picture Jericho. Now, not the nice part of town. I want you to picture the seedy part of town, the red light district. I want you to picture that that part of town where at night on dark seedy corners, seedy characters gathered to do seedy things, that corner. And on that corner, you would have found a seedy woman looking for seedy people to do seedy things with. I know you're in church, but are you following me? We find out that that woman had a name. Her name was Rahab. She was a harlot, which is that seedy woman on that seedy corner. Unlikely candidate to be used by God. But God said, I'm going to use her. And through his work in Rahab, she became an integral part of the victory that Israel had over Jericho. But not only that, listen to me, church, she was changed. Not only was she saved, her family was saved. God reached back into the family that had produced her. God began to work in that family. Not only did he work in her, but he worked in that family. Not only did he do that, he did such a work that the work extended generations in front of her, changed her family line so much so that if you trace back the descent, the the lineage of Jesus, you'll find that a seedy harlot named Rahab is in the very lineage of the Messiah. Don't tell me God can't use who he wants to use. You gotta take expectations off. Can't limit God. Oh, she doesn't have enough talent. Oh, he's not. Listen, God will use who he wants to use. And then here's where I've really been trying to get to all morning. I've just been setting you up with the rest of this. Talk about church, expectations for church. Uh oh. The traditions that I was raised with shaped my expectations for church. My preferences shaped my expectations for church. Church needs to happen in 63 minutes. God can have his full way in 63 minutes. If it's 64, I'm out of here. We, we have expectations for how church ought to happen and we get our feathers ruffled when it doesn't happen that way. But if you look in the word, you'll see that God was really good at disrupting church services. Book of Acts, the third chapter, in the wake of Pentecost, which happened in Acts chapter two, we'll see that Peter and John were on their way to pray at three in the afternoon. Now, let me just tell you something. I've been in the church business for a long time. When you call a prayer meeting at three in the afternoon, the people who show up are the people who are supposed to show up, right? Because the casual, the Christmas and Easter Christians, they aren't at the prayer meeting at three o'clock, right? So here's Peter and John, they're going to the prayer meeting. And on their way to the temple, as they're getting close to the gate, 
they see this lame man. Now, this isn't the first time they've seen this lame man because we know that this lame man, according to Acts chapter 4, is at least 40 years old. And the tradition was he's carried to the temple every day to beg alms of people going in and out of the temple. And so Peter and John doing their thing, doing their church thing, doing their Jesus thing, fresh off of Pentecost, see the same man that they're familiar with seeing, but today something's different. And maybe Peter, maybe Peter and John are going, you know, we saw Jesus heal lame people. And we saw him do it and we knew, we knew he should do it because he's Jesus. But maybe Peter turned to John and said, John, remember though, when Jesus said to us that the things that he did, we would do and even greater because he's going to the, his father in heaven. Is that ringing any bells with anybody? So maybe Peter's going, you know, John, Jesus said we could heal this guy just like he healed him. And so in that moment, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God, Peter and John, when he asked for alms, they said, we don't have any money to give you, but what we have, we will give you. Let me tell you something, a little clue. You can't give what you don't have. They were filled with the presence of God, and in that moment, they reached down, they jerked this man up, he becomes whole, his legs begin um, get fixed and become strengthened. Now, how many of you know after 40 years of being lame, this guy, you were probably gonna notice something. He, he was pretty fired up about what had happened. And so you gotta imagine they're standing here at the gate. Now, at the gate, when this man comes, gets healed and he's up and he's, he's excited, he's, he's fired up about what's happening. He has two ways he can go. He can go out into the street, out into town, or he can go into the temple because he's at the gate, right? Guess which one he chooses? He chooses the temple. Now you gotta think, oh, sister so-and-so is in there praying. And there's a prayer service going on, and you know how we do prayer services. Quiet, reverent, and in bust this man, and he doesn't come in quiet and reverent. Bible says that he was running. Now, I don't know exactly what a prayer service looked like, but I promise you there wasn't any running going on normally in that prayer service. All of a sudden, homeboy's running says that he was leaping. Are you getting this picture with me? He's shattering expectations. He's ruining the service. Not only was he running and leaping, he was praising God. Now I can only imagine that in that prayer service there was some praise going on, but I promise you the praise that they were doing didn't have anything to do with the prayer he was doing at the moment. Talking about completely different praising going on. He disrupted this whole service. I mean, everything. Imagine this. Imagine someone getting healed in here right now in this moment, begin running, leaping, praising God. It would rattle things, right? But here's what it says. After, after all this happens, it says that the people there were filled with wonder and amazement. This is Acts chapter three. And here's... After all we've, everything we've said here this morning, I want to ask you this question. Ready? 
When is the last time we left church filled with wonder and amazement? Do we expect wonder and amazement? Or we, have we come to expect predictable, quiet, whatever? It says here that they were filled with wonder and amazement. You know, many of us here are living what I call a post-Calvary, pre-Pentecostal experience. In other words, we've been to Calvary for pardon, but we've not been to Pentecost for power. And if we're not careful, our churches will turn into a theater for performing arts when it was meant to be a hospital for crippled souls. If we're not careful, we'll turn into a museum for frozen saints. People who think they look dignified, but they're really petrified. Because if you're not expecting to God, for God to do anything miraculous, you'll rarely see a miracle. I want to warn us, church. Again, I'm not talking about us getting up here and manufacturing something. But I am saying this. My challenge to you, churches, my challenge to me, because this is, God began dealing with me about this message of Jody. I need you to take your expectations off of me. I need you to take your, take your expectations off of off what subject a pastor ought to talk about and what subject a pastor ought to avoid. Take your expectations off and give me the freedom to do in my church what I want to do. I'm going to tell you my answer to that was a hesitant, yes, God. Right? Okay, I think. But I'm not the only, the only participant here. I'm giving this to you. Then what are your expectations? How have we limited God in our services? How have we limited his movement? And I just wanted, I want to say this to you loudly and, and clearly, church. Listen, I want his presence above our programs. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And there are people that need freedom, right? And so we want his presence. I want his voice above my preferences. I want the voice of God to be heard. I want his presence here. I want him free to do all that he wants to do among his church. But in order to do that, you and I, we're going to have to put our expectations away. Look in his word, gather new expectations, take the limits off of God, and let God be God. And I believe our answer today should be a resounding yes. So if that's the case, would you let me hear it, please? Come on, how many of you want? Would you stand? Here's how I think we ought to respond to this message. I'm going to pray for us. And I can pray as the shepherd, as the leader of this house, I can pray. But my invitation to you is to not listen to me pray, but join with me in prayer.
I want to say to you men, men in the house, I want you to pray and say, Lord, help me to manage my expectations. As a man, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry when I've put you in a box and say you can only work this way through me, in me, have full reign, do whatever you want. And, and then as, as the head of your household, say, Lord, I give you free reign. We sang it a minute ago, Lord, you have free reign to rule in my family. You have free reign to rule over me, over my wife, over my children, over our finances, over our jobs. Lord, you have free reign over it all. Women, pray. Let's pray and say, Lord, you have free reign in my life. You have free reign to do what you will, to have your way. Have your way in my husband. My husband's not behaving like I think he ought to behave. That doesn't matter. Ask God to deal with your husband. Ask God to deal with your children. So let's pray in that way, ready? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, forgive us when we have limited you with our expectations. Forgive us, Lord. And Father, with, with your grace and your strength, we now give you permission to function in our life in the way that you see fit to rule and reign in, in our life in the way that you see fit. Lord, may it never be again that my expectations limit you in what you want to do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I just feel maybe there's some parents in here right now who are, are believing for children, that you have children who seem to be wayward and they seem to be out there somewhere and and you know, you've tried as a parent to reach and manipulate and cajole and do all those things. And, um, I just wanna encourage you that, that we serve the God of the impossible. And listen, God can find your child no matter what bar they're in, no matter what ditch they're in, no matter what state they're in, no matter what country they're in, God can reach your child. You stand up in the authority that God's given you as a parent and you begin to pray over those children. You begin to call those prodigals home. Can I do that right now? Come on, let's pray, ready? Lord, I just call the prodigals home right now in Jesus' name. Lord, situations that look impossible, we thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the impossible and we call those children home. Holy Spirit, go right now and begin to minister to hearts and in a way that only you can do, begin to draw those those, those children home in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, lost spouses. Lord, I, I join with every wife right now who's believing for their husband to rise up and be the man that you've called him to be. Lord, I thank you that you can work in those men. You can go beyond habits and strongholds and, and, and even uh, addictions and those kind of things. We thank you that you're breaking that right now in Jesus' name and you're bringing freedom to homes bringing freedoms to homes. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the impossible.